Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Well, welcome Coastal. Uh, my name is Pastor Scott. I'm the associate pastor here. Uh, thank you for being here in person or joining us online. Uh, man, I'm excited to be able to preach week four of our At The Movies series. Uh, pastor Chris had knee surgery this past week, so that's why uh, he's not up here. We thought it wouldn't be easy for him to be able to get up and down the steps, but so continue to pray for him uh, during his recovery. And uh, this movie, Doolittle, that we just uh, saw the trailer for, I don't know how many of you have seen it. Uh, I saw it a couple weeks ago, and let me just say, it's good. I would say it's great, but it's good. Uh, if you have kids, they'll love it. Uh, it's an awesome, uh, just kind of a, a new take on an old classic. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. stars as one of the most enduring characters uh, of, of, of history, really, in the literature, reimagining the classic tale of the man who could talk to animals. But after losing his wife seven years prior to when the movie takes place, the eccentric Dr. Doolittle, famed doctor and valedict not valedictorian, veterinarian uh, of Queen Victoria's England, hermits himself away behind the high walls of Doolittle Manor uh, with only his menagerie of animals that he talks to. And so uh, in this movie, what we, we are able to kind of see as a part of him is that this young queen becomes sick and Dr. Doodle is, is tasked with this trip to be able to go on a journey where he gets all of these animals on a boat, travels to a mystic island to find the cure to save the queen. Now, this should be pretty easy to figure out where we're going with this movie. A man on a boat with a bunch of animals. Pretty simple, right? I, uh, we're talking about Noah's Ark today. And so a lot of times we pull a spiritual truth out of these movies. We're going to take kind of just the main topic or theme of this movie and the idea that uh, this man, Doolittle, with these animals, gets on a boat and goes on a journey. And so we're going to look at Noah's Ark today. And it's an exciting uh, story that a lot of you are familiar with. And hopefully today, maybe there's some things, new things that you can learn uh, as we dive into this. Uh, but for those of you that don't know, uh, I was actually the youth pastor here for three years from the summer of 2012 to the summer of 2015 before I moved to Kentucky. And in Kentucky, Kentucky is home to a lot of things. Uh, it's home to uh, horse racing. It's home to fried chicken, you know, Kentucky fried chicken. It's home to bluegrass. It's home to, to basketball, right? We have all these things that we kind of claim home to in Kentucky. But one of the things that Kentucky is home to that you may not know is that we have a full to scale Noah's Ark. You can visit it. It's in northern Kentucky. I had the privilege to be able to go there a couple years ago with my wife and my oldest daughter. My youngest wasn't born yet. I got a picture here where you can actually see uh, the ark uh, behind us. And we're standing behind the, or in front of the ark a couple hundred yards, and you can see the size of this thing. It is huge. And to be able to actually walk into the ark, to be able to actually uh, see it and just the size of it, I think we all get like, oh, this is a big boat, right? A lot of animals had to get on there. And this family, Noah and his family, were able to get on there as well. So when you look at that, just realize the size of this thing is, is crazy. It is very large, very big uh, as a part of this. So, uh, but what I want to be able to dive in, I want to be able to give you some kind of the story in, in, a, in a nutshell, because Genesis 6 through 9 is actually the story of Noah. There's four chapters. If I read all four chapters, it, I'd read them and pray and we'd be done. Like that would be it. And so we want to be able to take the story of Noah and be able to apply it to our life. And so whether you're sitting right here in the room or whether you're watching us online, uh, let's kind of look at some of the highlights that we can see in Genesis 6 through 9. The very first thing is Noah himself. Noah is a righteous man. It says that he is blameless in his generation and that he walked with God. He's well liked by his community. He's blameless in his generation. People thought well of him, but also he walked with God. 
This was someone who was a Christian before Christian was even a word. It's somebody that knew God's law. He knew God's word and he took it into his life, into his heart, and then he applied it and he put it into practice. And so Noah was a righteous man. But also it says that the earth is corrupt. The earth had become corrupt. It had become wicked. 1 Corinthians 5 actually tells us what corruption is. And corruption, according to 1 Corinthians 5, says that corruption is drunkenness, it's sexual immorality, it's greed, it's swindlers like lying and cheating, it's also idolatry. Man, I'm glad the world's not corrupt anymore, aren't you? Wait a second, right? All of these things are still going on today, and that's what's crazy to think. But the earth is corrupt. All of these things that were being experienced right here on the earth, God looked at the earth and he saw that it was corrupt, and so he decides to end all flesh. In fact, he actually says, behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So not only is he going to destroy all of humanity that is corrupt, but he's going to destroy the earth and everything that they have built and developed and the animals of the land. He's going to destroy every single thing except for what is on the boat, which would be Noah, his family, and some animals. And so he decides to save Noah, and he tells him to build an ark. You just saw a picture of it, but to give you a better, maybe a better idea, the ark itself is about as wide as this room, maybe a little shorter. It's a little bit taller than the peak of this building, but it is the length of a football field and a half. Like, that's how big this boat is. It's not some little boat that you'd see out in the Charleston Harbor. Like, this is a giant boat. It's like a cruise ship almost, right? And so he decides to save Noah and tells him to build an ark, and he tells Noah to bring his family bring food, and he tells him also to bring two male and female of each animal onto the boat to save them. God sends rain for 40 days, which kills off every living thing not in the ark, the land included. But after 12 months, after a whole year, Noah and his family and the animals are able to get out of the boat. They're able to quit living that salt life. They're able to quit living that quarantine. Like this was quarantining before it was cool, right? Like this is what they were doing on this boat. But after a year, they're able to get out of the boat and to be able to walk on land. And God establishes a covenant through, visibly through a rainbow. And he tells them that this is the last time that I will destroy the earth by flood. He makes this covenant, says he'll never flood the world again. And see, what's crazy and really kind of cool to see is the fact that this is a covenant made by God with humanity. The next covenant that would come would be years later when Jesus walks on this earth, makes the covenant, says, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins, that you can have life, you can have an eternal hope because of my death and my, what I'm getting ready to experience, and then also my resurrection, and that is the next covenant that comes. So let's dive into our passage of Scripture. As I said, we're not looking at all four chapters of Genesis for the sake of time. But in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews in 11 verse 7 speaks to the faith of Noah and says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. This passage of scripture is very neat to see because it says that it was by faith that he did this. It says that he obeyed God. By this, Noah condemned the rest of the world, but he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So the very first thing that I have to you, for you today, I want to pull out a few truths. And these truths are things that we can learn from Noah. And the first one is that faith requires action. Faith requires action. You see, it says that it was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family. He built this large boat. Think about how much faith it takes to build a boat in a desert. Just, hey, look at this big piece of sand. I think I'm going to build a cruise ship right here in case there's a flood. Like, think about the faith and also the insanity that people around thought, what are you doing? Like, why do you need this boat? We live in a desert. It rains like an inch a year. Like, what are you doing? And Noah had faith that God was going to carry out what he said that he was going to carry out. And so he builds this boat and he does it in faith. 
Actually, in uh, Matthew, uh, excuse me, Matthew uh, 17, 20, it says faith the size of a mustard seed, faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. How much faith does it take to build a boat in sand where it doesn't rain? Probably, maybe not a full mustard seed, maybe like a half mustard seed, you know, there's like a little speck of a mustard seed, but it takes faith. And it takes faith to see God move mountains. It, t- it takes faith to understand what God is doing in our life. And it takes us to have these moments and these, these times of faith to be able to see God work in our life. Genesis 7, verses 1 through 3 says, When everything was ready, the Lord said to Noah, Go into the boat with all your family. For among all the people of the earth, I can see that you alone are righteous. Take with you seven pairs, seven pairs, we thought we said two, but seven pairs, male and female, of each animal I have approved for eating and for sacrifice. There's the reason right there. And take one pair of each of the others. Also take seven pairs of every kind of bird. There must be a male and a female in each pair to ensure that all life will survive on the earth after the flood. So he tells him to take a pair of each animal, but of the ones that are good for eating, take seven pairs because God knows that they are going to need food. They're going to be on this boat for a year. He wants to provide for them. So he tells them to actually take more than just one pair of certain animals so that they can have this food to be able to use and to eat throughout their time on the boat. Now, what Noah is experiencing here is unknown. It's uncharted territory. This is something that's crazy. It's an an unknown area for Noah, and that's what faith really is all about, is that faith requires us to step into the unknown. We don't always have to know what's next or where next. We don't always have to know what's going to come ahead, what lies ahead or where we're going, but what we can do is we can know the one who does. We can know the God that knows everything that's coming and everything that lies ahead of us. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, It is the evidence of things that we cannot see. This passage here may be a familiar one to you, that faith shows the reality of what we hope for, that there is an outcome, there is a, a goal, there is an end in mind, and it shows the reality of that. But it also is the evidence of things that we cannot see, that we continue to have faith, even though there's things going on in our life or things going on around us that we can't quite put our finger on, that we can't quite understand. But faith is the evidence of these things that we can't see. I want to give it to you this way. Faith is pursuing an objective by methods that we cannot control. It's pursuing after something by methods or means that we can't control, things that we can't see, things that we can't really kind of make happen, but we're putting faith in the one that can, and that is God. So you take small steps of faith every day in your job, in the food that you eat, in the car that you get into, in your parenting. Oh, Parenting, man, I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old. Let me just say, like, I take a lot of faith every day and think, like, I think this will work. Hope they turn out okay. Those of you that have older kids that are, like, out of the house, you're like, they turned out good. I don't know how, right? Like, I, had, it, it, I just was going about it, right? I just had faith that God was going to take care of it. And, like, you did that. And, like, so we have these moments of faith throughout our life. Faith requires us to trust in, a, in someone or something that is greater than us. Something that is greater in knowledge and in ability, we have to trust in that, and that's what faith really is. Here, let me give you an idea. When I think about having faith in someone that is greater than me in knowledge and ability, can I be honest with you that I don't want to be the smartest thing or the smartest person involved in my life? That would not go well. I don't want to be the most powerful thing or the power, most powerful person in my life because that would be a disaster. I want to trust in someone that knows a lot more than me and trust in someone that's a lot more powerful than me. That's God. See, God knows everything that's going on. He knows historically what's going on. He knows what's going on right now, and he knows what lies ahead. 
And because of that, I also know that he is more powerful and that he can take care of things and he can provide and he can do all these things that I can't do on my own because if I were to do it on my own, my life would be a disaster. None of us can do that. We need someone that's more powerful. We need someone that is smarter than us, which leads to the second thing we can learn from Noah's life, and that's this, that obedience recognizes the knowledge of God. Obedience recognizes the knowledge of God. You know, God knows all things in regards to history, in regards to, in regards to current events, in regards to the things that are going to happen in the future. He knows all and he sees all. When I was in, uh, I went to the same grade school and middle school, like it was all in one school, and I had this teacher that I had for, I feel like two or three different years as kind of my main teacher, my homeroom teacher, as well as for some classes. Uh, her name was Mrs. McKinnon, and Mrs. McKinnon and my mom were phone buddies, and I don't mean that in a good way, okay? Uh, she would, if I, back in the days when we had like phones attached to the wall and you had caller ID, you know, like I would see Mrs. McKinnon's name pop up on the caller ID, and instantly I just turn to my room and walk and close the door, because I, I start thinking like, oh my gosh, what did I do? What, what happened today? What, what did I lie about? What didn't I turn in? What did I do? Because here's the thing. Mrs. McKinnon always knew. She always figured it out. She always found out. And so it took me a lot of years to realize, like, there is no point in trying to lie to Mrs. McKinnon because Mrs. McKinnon knows all things, I felt like, as a seventh and eighth grader. We have these people in our life that seem to know, but let me tell you this. There is a God that knows so much more than anybody that's in your life right now. That God knows all things. He knows everything that's going on about the past, the present, and the future. And he takes all of those things into context when he is leading you, he is guiding you, and he's providing for you in your life. You know, one of the things that I thought about in regards to God and his knowledge is that God has never stood around and said, you know what just occurred to me? Because that would mean that God didn't already know something. He's never said that. He's never surrounded around and be like, oh, I just thought of. No, he already knew. He knows every single thing that is going on. And so when we are able to look at the life of Noah and we see God play out in Noah's life and, and work all of these things for his good, it's an amazing story to really see and to really just be able to spend time in. But we all need direction in our lives. This is a process of our faith that we have to have directions. True faith produces obedience. Obedience produces good works. It's a process that when we have true faith, that it would cause us, it would push us, it would motivate us to, to obey and to listen to God. And when we listen to God, we are able to see our faith take place in good works. We're able to see the good works and the good things that we do come out in our faith. And so our faith is visible to people, that when people see you doing good deeds or good works, it's, they start to ask, well, what's different about this person? Why are they doing it in this way? Well, for one, we're, we have faith in a God that is above all things. But we also are obeying that God. Because we are obeying that God, we begin to do good works because it is something that we have in a relationship with him. And so the important part is the fruit of our authentic faith is good works and that our faith actually gives birth to these good works. It produces them. Pastor and author Craig Groeschel, who wrote a book called Christian Atheist that I would highly recommend. Uh, if you're on the sermon notes, it's actually at the bottom. There's a link to be able to check out the book. Uh, but the, he makes this quote and says, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. We don't have to understand every single thing that God is doing in order to obey him. We don't have to get all the little details and understand every single thing to be able to fully obey. And that's what we are called to do is to obey right now. We can't obey to be loved by God. We obey because God has already loved us. We don't obey to, to gain that love. We don't do good things and to, to try to do these good deeds so that God will love us or love us more. We do these things because God has already loved us and we want to show that love to the world. 
And when we have that true, authentic faith and that loving relationship with him, it's going to produce obedience, and it's going to produce good works in our life. But some of you in here, if you think obedience is the way to get you into heaven, then you shouldn't measure your life against others. You should measure your life against Christ. You see, the bar's already been set at perfection. Jesus was perfect. That's the bar. That's the standard. And that if we think we can do enough good works, that we can obey enough to get ourselves saved and into heaven, then we are wrong. Because so many people in today's world, we try to measure ourselves up to other people. Well, I'm not as bad as that person, and I do a lot more good things than that person does. But what you need to really acknowledge is this. Do you do things that are perfect, that equal out and in line with Jesus and when he lived his perfect life here on earth? Because he never sinned. He never made a mistake. That's what the bar is. That's the standard. But here's the thing. God wants us to be obedient. Because, A, it shows our understanding of who Jesus is. It shows our understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus gives us a perfect example of how to live. He shows us how to treat others. Think about Jesus who spends time uh, with tax collectors and people that uh, in the community would say, you should not be hanging out with those people. If you really are you know, the, who you say you are, why are you hanging out with these sinners? Why are you hanging out with these people that lie and cheat and do all of these things? And here's the thing. Jesus knew that these are the people that needed him the most. Think about his connection, his relationship, his moment with the Samaritan woman, the Samaritan woman who comes in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, to the well, because that's when everybody else is not there, and she knows she would be shamed if she came when everybody else is there. Why would she be shamed? Well, it's because of when Jesus asked her and said, go and get your husband. She says, well, I have no husband. He says, you're right. You've had five husbands. You've got a sixth man you're shacking up with now. You are doing this wrong. And he calls her out in her sin, but what he does is he not only shows her truth, but he shows her grace. So Jesus shows us how to treat other people, but he also shows us how to live with conviction, how that we can take God's word in and we consume it, and that we can stand on it boldly and always in our life. Jesus shows us how to do that and to live with conviction, but he also shows us how to live with the end in mind. Do we live our life day in and day out knowing that the battle has already been won? Do we live our, our life day in and day out knowing that God already has like the victory sealed up? I mean, I think so many people, myself included, I've got days where I live and I just feel defeated and what can I do and how can I live through this and how can I get through this thing or, or whatever is attacking me or in, going on in my life. But what I need to ultimately realize is that God's already taken care of it all, that these things are meaningless in the eyes of eternity, that the battle's already been won, that the end is in mind and we need to keep that. You see, we love because Jesus first loved us on the cross. We love others and treat them well. Because Jesus died on the cross in our place. His death on the cross actually satisfied the wrath of God. And it took, it took our place. He stepped in on our behalf so that we can be free. Another reason that God wants us to be obedient because is uh, letter B. It reflects and imitates Jesus to the world. This is our testimony. This is our witness to the people that we encounter and the people that we come across each and every uh, time and each and every day in our life. You know, your job is a great place for you to be Jesus. We need people like you. We need Christians like you that are watching right now in your workplace. We need you in your workplace to be Jesus, to be the hands and feet of him right there. There are people that need to hear about the grace and hope and mercy that Jesus offers. They need people just like you. Maybe you're a mechanic. Let me tell you this. There's a lot of people in the world right now that could say, man, I'd love to have an honest mechanic. There's a lot of people that say, I'd love to have a respectable uh, lawyer or attorney. I'd love to have a compassionate teacher. I'd love to have a truthful politician. I think we could all get behind that, right? 
Like, we need people that are Christ followers in all of these different areas of the workplace. And that can be your calling, because you may be the only bit of Jesus that those people ever see. You may be the only one. But what you need to ask yourself is, are you a good reflection of him? Hebrews 12, 14 says to work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. The very first part of that verse, work at living in peace with everyone. Man, that could solve a lot of problems if everybody just listened to those seven words right there. But it says to work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Work at living a holy life. To be obedient and to pursue after Jesus, to pursue after holiness and perfection. Are we going to be able to attain perfection? No, because we are sinners. But if we are pursuing after it, we make a greater imitation, a greater reflection of who Jesus is in our life. So obedience is the pursuit of holiness. It's pursuing after holiness, pursuing after being like Jesus. And this is directly connected to our salvation. You see, Jesus commands us to obey. He commands us to listen and to obey because it is connected, directly connected to our relationship with him. That if we truly believe that he is who he says he is and that we have faith in who he says he is, that we should obey because of who he says he is. Those things are connected directly. Another reason that God wants us to be obedient is because, let us see, it shows our desire to become more like Jesus. It shows our desire to become more like him. It's this process of becoming holy. It's called sanctification. It's a process in our life that when you turn your life over to Jesus, you begin to become more like him. The question is, how quickly does that happen? How much do you dive into that? How great is your desire to actually be like Jesus? You see, we have to want to live like Jesus, but in order to want to live like him, we have to know him. We have to know about him. That's where we spend time in his word and we take it in and we begin to learn about who he is and the way that he treats people and the way that he lives his life. And I think for us to be able to acknowledge this, we have to say, you know what? I need to know Jesus a little bit more so that I can try to be more like him. And one of the things that I really have thought about is this, is that we aren't seeing awful things in our world today because of the way we vote. We are seeing awful things in the world today because humanity loves darkness more than it loves light. It's not about who we vote for. It's not about which side of the political party you're on. But what we can know is this, humanity, us in this room included myself, we love darkness more than we love light. And if we would run from the darkness, flee the darkness, and run into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ, this place would be a whole, much, a whole lot better, that hope would be experienced for so many more if we would just live that way and say, I'm going to run away from the darkness, the sin, and I'm going to run towards the light of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that we can do in our life to make God love us more. There's nothing that we can do to make God love us less. I want you to keep that in mind. Because I think so many of us think, man, we have a day where we just don't live our life for God and we, we struggle in that and we, we really don't get, you know, why are we living this life in this way? Why do we make the decisions that we made? And I want you to understand that the days that you have where you feel like, man, I didn't live for God today, he doesn't love you any less. He loves you just as much. And also the days that you feel like, man, I really did something for the Lord today. I served my community. Uh, I went to church today. And you feel like, man, everything was good today. I glorified God. He doesn't love you any more because of that. Because he's already loves you as much as he possibly can. He loves you right where you're at, right with everything that's going on in your life. Your obedience is important, but it's also commanded of you as a Christian. As a Christ follower, we are commanded to obey. We're commanded to listen to the principles, to the guiding, uh, guidance of Jesus, to the teachings of Jesus. We are commanded to do this. 
It says in this passage in Hebrews that Noah obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. And Genesis 6.22 speaks to this and says, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Did everything exactly as God had commanded him. He didn't ask questions. He didn't hesitate. He didn't even say, I'll do it later, husbands, right? Like he didn't do any of that. Like he just said, I'm going to listen. I'm going to take this and what God has told me to do, I'm going to live in this way. His obedience and his works are directly connected to his faith. And you know what? So are ours. Our obedience and our works are directly connected to our faith. They are visible signs of the faith that we have, the faith that we have in Jesus. And so here's the third thing that we can learn from the life of Noah, is that faith plus obedience equals salvation. Faith plus obedience equals salvation. The writer of Hebrews said that Noah received the righteousness that comes by faith. You see, sometimes it's easy to have one or the other, isn't it? Faith or obedience. We can say, man, I've got faith in Jesus. He has saved me. He has pulled me out of the pits of hell and into the gates of heaven. And I have faith in that. But then we don't live our life as a reflection of that. We might do some good works or some good deeds here and there, but we don't ultimately allow the faith that we have, the love that we have with Jesus, allow that to infiltrate our life and allow that to be able to be spoken, to be able to be done throughout everybody that we meet, through all the people that we encounter and through the way that we live our life the integrity and the character that we have. We also have people that trust in the obedience and not in the faith. The people think, if I can just do enough good deeds, if I can just be a nicer person than that person, then I'm good to go. And that's not what Scripture says. Scripture speaks very clearly to say we have to have faith in Jesus Christ, and then we obey because of the faith that we have. Noah was found righteousness, righteous because he had faith. Faith is what defines your salvation. Obedience is what makes it flourish. Obedience is what allows you to experience it completely and fully. Genesis 7.23 says, God wiped out every living thing on the earth, people, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, and the birds of the sky. All were destroyed. The only people who survived were Noah and those with him in the boat. I think we have a really good picture here of God's wrath versus God's love. God is both of these things. He loves you, but he also has a wrath that has to be satisfied because of sin that is in the world. I want to show you a couple pictures here of some things that you've seen maybe similar, a couple murals of, uh, of Noah's Ark. You've probably seen, maybe not these specific ones, but you've seen some that are similar. Uh, very pleasant, very cool, like, oh, look at the animals hanging out together in the boat. The one's got, a, the snakes are hanging out with the dog, like, you know, like all of these things. And these are the pictures that we see uh, when, we, when we see all these <clears throat> Noah's Ark murals painted. What's missing? How about all the people that didn't make it on the boat? in the water? How about all of the people that that died because of the flood, because of the corruption and the wickedness? Let me tell you this. We put these pictures on the wall because we love to paint pictures of God's love. We don't like to paint pictures of God's wrath, but both are equally important. We need to understand that God is a loving God, but he's a wrathful God. But in his love, he provides a way out for us because of Jesus on the cross. James 2.26 says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Faith is dead without good works. Keep that in, in, in your mind today. Your faith is lacking and it is weak if you aren't pairing it together with obedience. That our faith is best played out when we obey, when we listen. Now, I want to, just thinking about this and how maybe a better way uh, to kind of describe it or explain it in this. Uh, we all have favorite sports teams or favorite bands or concerts that we've been to. Think of yourself, uh, you know, you get a ticket to go to a, a game or to go to a concert. 
And you get a ticket and it has your seating and everything on there, and you walk in to the, to the building, to the concourse, to the stadium, to the arena. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been given a ticket of faith. You have a ticket. You have a way in to that relationship. And you walk in, and it's about ready to start, and the music's starting to go, or the, uh, you know, the, the band's getting ready to play, or the game's getting ready to go, and everybody starts to take their seats. And you have faith, which got you into the building. But you haven't listened to the ticket. You haven't obeyed the ticket to go sit in your seat yet. You're just walking around the concourse. Every once in a while, you may catch a glimpse, or you may catch some light, or you may hear people in there going crazy and loud, the people that obeyed and listened and went to their seat. You see, faith and obedience work together. Faith and obedience work together because when you have faith, you're into the relationship with Jesus. You have been saved from your sin. You have heaven. But until you obey, you haven't experienced it fully. And I tell you that because salvation isn't just about getting in the door, but it's about experiencing the whole and entire show. And if you're not obeying in your faith, you're missing out. Obedience clears the way for you to experience faith to its fullest. And that's my hope for you today. So I'm going to close with asking you this question. For those of you who are in this room, for those of you that are watching online, where are you at between faith and obedience? Do you have faith and not obedience? Are you trying to obey, but you're not placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Are you maybe someone that's not doing either? Or maybe you're someone that is doing both of these things. Wherever you are today, my hope for you is that you would find fullness in the faith and obedience that you have. Experience the fullness of the salvation that you have through having both of these things. And we want to be able to offer that to you today. That you can have faith in Jesus Christ. That's the very first step. By simply placing your faith and trust in, in him, admitting that you're a sinner, repenting of that sin and calling on him to believe and say, you know what, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me. And I want to experience my life and my salvation and my faith to its fullest. For those of you that have already placed your faith and trust in Jesus, but you haven't obeyed or haven't been living that life that glorifies him and that reflects him, Maybe today is the moment of conviction for you that would push you to do so. Let's pray. Father God, right now I want to pray for everybody that is in this room. That God, that there are uh, so many people from so many different walks of life right now. Lord, those that are experiencing uh, maybe a tug in their heart, a tug in their life right now. Father, I just want to pray for everybody here that does not have a relationship with you, God, that they would know that they can have faith in you by simply admitting that they are a sinner, believing that your son Jesus died on the cross in, the, in their place. And Father, beginning to live the life of sanctification, the life of becoming holy and more like your son Jesus. Father, for those that have a relationship with you, but have not been obeying and haven't been listening and uh, listening to the command that you've given them, God, that I pray right now that, Father, this would be a moment of conviction where they wouldn't just simply allow you to be the savior of their life, but they would allow you to be the Lord of their life. They would begin to listen to the way that you command them and the way that you call them to obedience to produce good works, God, so that we can be a beacon of light into a dark, dark world. Father, it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.